everyone. Welcome to Way of Life Podcast, where we firmly believe that everyone picks a way in life and what way you pick is extremely important and directly affects how you live. In this podcast, we seek to interview people from all around Australia and beyond on life's most important topics. Whether you're a Christian, a skeptic, or someone with a whole heap of questions, this podcast is for you. My name is Matt, a pastor living in Brisbane, Australia. This is Way of Life Podcast. Well, welcome everyone, and welcome to everyone streaming in, and welcome to the people that are watching this in the future. Um, welcome to the first, very first Way of Life podcast. Come on. It's going to be sick. I've got, we've got Dan here. I'll introduce him in, in a moment. Um, but I just wanted to tell you guys a little bit uh, about what this is. So uh, you might, some of you might have seen this on on Facebook. Uh, some little bits of details. I haven't put a whole heap out there. But for those of you watching as well, but everyone here, um, I just so I'll give you why we called it Way of Life and why we're doing a podcast in. in in general, so so the more I, I, I tend to talk with people in our society, and, and particularly uh, young people, uh, it's the more I see that we actually live in and don't don't get too uh, scared by these words. I'll explain them in a minute. But we live in a very relativistic, pluralistic, and hedonistic society, uh, and what that's to say that we live in a culture that's that is um, that is very kind of the individual is left. To find their own truth, they're, mm. they're they're left to find their own way in life. So it's relativistic. It's kind of like it's whatever you feel like. It's up to you. And there seems to be a lot of different ways out there that you can choose from. There's different truths mm. per se that a lot of people can choose from. And usually, kind of the guiding principle of of how we work out uh, which way we we take is is. Uh, whatever will make us happy, so hedonism. So we're 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 hugely after our own happiness in, in our culture. So what uh, what I see, kind of, the more I look around, the more research I do, the more I talk to people, mm. is that this creates really it makes it very diverse, like a confusing and sometimes quite chaotic kind of world of ideas, and, and it's it's hard to know which way to choose a world. Where the burden it, it kind of it weighs on your shoulder, it weighs on the individual's yeah. shoulder, um, and and to to find out what you believe, how you want to live, and and to pick that, and it, and it's a crippling burden. That's I, I and I've said this before at, uh, at church that I think that's what we see is part of why we see a lot of depression and anxiety in our young people because they've got this huge burden on their backs. So, in a sense, everyone picks a way. Of life, and the way that you pick actually matters. It actually matters, and it actually affects how you live. And and whether you think about it or you, you don't think about it at, at all, we believe in something. We all believe in something, and and live a certain way by certain principles and thinking. And and we and what we believe and what we think actually truly matters because it affects what we do mm. and how we live. So what this podcast kind of endeavors to do, just so you guys know, is to, is to help explore some of life's big and most important topics. Um, uh, it's because that does affect our life and it does matter what we believe and what we think. So, but 
What we would argue when we're doing this podcast is that the best way is actually Jesus himself. Um, so it's, it's Jesus. It's a person. Uh, Jesus himself claims in John 14 verse 6, and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way. So for the Christian, this, this podcast is to help guide you in your own journey. It's to help you grow in your faith in Christ and to help you and more equip you to love those around you like Christ loves us. And for the person who's, who's questioning what way they're actually on, maybe you don't actually know where you sit, this is equally just for you. This is a safe place where you're actually able to ask questions. You're actually able to ask questions and to wrestle with these different topics. And I hope, I really hope for everyone, whether you are uh, a skeptic or you're just asking questions or you are a Christian, that this podcast tonight and the future podcast will just be so, so beneficial to mm. you and that, that God will really touch your heart. So, but... Um, we're going to actually, before we get into the conversation, we're going to have some Q&A as well for those of you who are listening in live. Um, so if you're on YouTube, you can actually just comment below um, your questions and hopefully we'll get to as many as we can. For those of you who are here today, you'll see a couple of uh, pieces of paper on each side of the stage, which has a, a mobile number. You might need your glasses on to see it, but um, if you want to send through your uh, questions that way. But last but not least, Dan, Come on. let's get into this. Let's do this. It's so good to have you uh, on, our, on our first podcast. And Mate, thank you so much for coming. Hey, I'm honoured to be the inaugural guest <laughs> in this new project. So yeah. thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So how have you been? Um, I, I figured not everyone's going to know mm -hmm. uh, you. And just to give us a little bit of background of what your passions are, what you've been doing, family, or yeah, answer it however you want to. All right, uh, a one-minute download into Dan. Great. Uh, so I was born in Melbourne. I'm Aussie through and through, even though my accent is all over the place now. Uh, I grew up a little bit in Melbourne, so AFL runs in my blood. I'm a Carlton yeah. Blue supporter, so I'm well-versed when it comes to the area of suffering. Uh, but moved up to Brisbane when I was five and have been here ever since. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Erin, of 10 years. Oh, she great. is also an expert now in suffering, having been married to me for a decade. <laughs> and we got three boys, uh, yep. Josiah's five and Zach's three, and Seth is one. And so I haven't slept in five years. I don't know what that yeah, means right. anymore. You're doing pretty I, good, bro. <laughs> yeah, I've gone bald and grey as a dad. Uh, so life is just full in every kind of good way. Yep, yep. Uh, and so I spend a lot of my time actually wrestling with people's questions about God. Uh, yeah, what okay. kind of interests me uh, is reading, thinking about hard questions, questions and being able to have healthy conversations. I'm big on board games and sports and stuff like nice. that too, but but the thinking and having good conversations is what I really enjoy doing. Yeah, uh, cool. And so for uh, I became a Christian when I was 18 after wrestling with some hard questions. Might get into a bit of that later, but uh, yeah, I've been following Jesus now for 15 years. Spent five or six of those as a pastor with youth and young adults. Oh, nice. And the last five or six. Whereabouts was that? that was at a place called Ashgrove Baptist, just Ashgrove. here in Brisbane. Nice. Yep. Full home there, hanging out whenever right. I'm not somewhere else. And yep. so we really enjoy kind of the family and friendships there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the last five or six years, I've been taking it a little bit bigger than that, going and wrestling people's questions in schools and unis and different events all around Australia yeah, and right. different That's churches cool. and a bit of travel overseas. And so that's kind of what I'm up to now, is still taking people's questions as seriously as I can. So good. Yeah. Um, so, what uh, what kind of led you um, to do? Because we're talking on pain and suffering tonight, um, 
And I know we're just chatting to you over the phone because I know I've seen you in a bunch of different other places and I'm sure some people in this audience and some yeah. people watching have seen you before. But So you do a whole array of kind of questions and answer really tough topics. But when I was chatting to you about what you might want to chat about, you said pain and suffering is quite a keen interest of yours. Um, could you maybe talk a little bit into why, why that is? Yeah. Um, like is it... Like, is it just an interest or is something yeah. kind of happened in your life that sparked this? Yeah, or, yeah, I appreciate um, that massively. And I think one of the things that matters is that behind every question that you hear, there's always a person, there's a yeah, questioner. 100%. And so much of the time, it's the painful moments in life that make for the most poignant questions. Uh, and I grew up with Christian folks. Mum and dad believed in God and took us to church. And so I was in Sunday school as a youngster and you hear about this big sky daddy who cares about us and wants everything to go well for us. Yeah. And so that was kind of my understanding of Christianity that there is a big guy who has lots of power and he cares about us. He's going to make sure that things go okay. God has a wonderful plan for your life. And when I was nine, we had a big car accident on a family holiday. We drove down to Melbourne, coming back in the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And on a really heavy fog kind of day, a truck pulled out in front of dad on a single lane road. And so dad smacked into the back of the truck in our Tarago van. And mum was in the front left-hand side of the car and the passenger side. And the truck came and crumpled and kind of crushed her in the front seat, pinning her legs in the wreckage. But she headbutted the truck at sort of 70-ish K an hour. Oh, and uh, as you can imagine, that caused serious trauma. Uh, I remember kind of seeing the car come to a screeching halt, spanning both lanes, headlights swirling around you and swerving at the last second. But just seeing my sisters screaming in the middle, I was in the back, my dad sort of frozen in the front seat, but mum slumped over in her chair and just her face covered in blood, her body eerily still. And that's just an image that was kind of scarred into my memory. Um, She was cut out of the vehicle by emergency services, airlifted to hospital. They did an emergency craniotomy to remove a third of her skull so that she wouldn't die from intracranial pressure. And uh, and in the aftermath of that surgery, the surgeon talking to my dad, there was just very little chance that she was going to make it. And if she did, it was not going to go well she had serious brain injury and so sort of the challenge to prepare yourself that Mm. she's not going to be the same person and and I remember having to go into the ICU the next day the first time I was able to see mum and there's six beds in there six different women from different injuries and I couldn't even tell which one's her because of the extent of the bruising and bandaging and swelling and it's just messy a really messy time and so that experience by that foggy roadside in New South Wales kind of shattered my belief in God into a million pieces and it took years for me to even be open again to asking the big questions about God Mm. and life and purpose and and so it was in the process of kind of having a vacuum of answers. It just mm. didn't make sense to me how an all-powerful and all-loving God would let that kind of thing happen. Yeah, yeah. And so in the absence of meaningful responses, I just kind of lent towards the same secular agnosticism, not caring about the God question as most yeah. of my friends at school, and just kept the God question at arm's length until kind of got woken up to, all right, what do I want to do with my life? What do I want to be? When was what that? should I chase? And just after I finished school. So I started an IT science dual degree. I uh, did two weeks of that at UQ and uh, got the student card and then bailed uh, before having to pay anything because it just was Cheap not what I wanted tickets. to do. Exactly that. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, it was really in that next year of just figuring out, all right, well, what do I want to do with my life? Who do I want to be? I don't want to get to the end of it and look back and feel mm-hmm. like I've wasted it. Yeah. And it was in the midst of asking hard questions that one of the guys I worked with said, hey, maybe 
maybe you should see whether or not God has meaningful answers to the kind of questions that you're asking. Yeah. And he put a Bible in my hand and said, read it. And uh, I didn't know exactly <laughs> what a Christian means when they say read the Bible, that they actually mean read parts of the Bible, like maybe yep. the beginning of Genesis or a gospel or it's two. And so I just thought, yeah, you pick up the Bible like any other book, beginning, middle, end. And so I read sort of cover to cover over a couple of months. And yep. I remember being mostly confused, not being able to make heads or tails of what's yep. going on anywhere. And sure. who is this? And why is that happening to them? And what do they do to tick God off in that way? And <laughs> it was just confusing until I got yeah. to the stories about Jesus. And it was in reading about Jesus of Nazareth, who Einstein calls this luminous figure of the Nazarene, this mm. towering figure. And I was just really moved by what he yeah. had to say about himself, that he, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, I and the Father are one, mm. that I am the invisible God made visible. And, and then his reactions to our suffering, to our struggles, to our questions, yeah. the way he stepped in and responded just really moved me. And I knew that by the end yeah, of the Gospels, okay. I'd come to believe in Jesus. Right. And I still had a bunch of questions that yep. I came and started asking of Christians, but yep. I knew now that I was one. And so maybe should start on to church again and yeah, figuring yeah. out what it means to be a Christian. So how did that kind of, did it, was it immediate type thing where it really, because of that, that was a hugely yeah. traumatic experience by the sounds of it and, and paced like into your teenage years quite significantly. Yeah. Like how, what was the road? Um, from there, once you did become a Christian, yeah, like, did you notice I, a significant I knew, change. Or? I knew that I believed in Jesus. I mm. didn't have answers to a lot of my other questions, particularly yeah. on why did God let that happen. Yeah. I didn't know, and I still, to some degree, don't. Yeah. Uh, it's not like entering into the Christian family means that you now understand all things yeah. and have this uh, yeah, infallible yeah. <laughs> insight into yeah. life. But it gave me a new story to wrestle with in trying to make sense of those questions. The Christian. Yeah story, the big story of the Bible. And I just found that far from shutting down critical thinking or meaningful engagement or asking hard questions, yep. that the Bible was really open to me doing that. Yep. And so many of the key figures ask very hard questions from a place of raw and deep mm. emotion, disappointment with God, depression, dark nights yep. of the soul. And that's never discouraged. In fact, that their voice is given such prominence all throughout the biblical story actually gave the permission gave me a register from which to be able to voice my own concerns yeah. and, and enrich intellectual traditions within the Christian mm. kind of story and Christian history and Christian thinkers that I got to start trying to wander through. Yeah. Uh, I just found tremendous help and healing uh, from, from digging into that. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah, my experience of Christianity was not at all a unthinking or one that yeah. invited me to check my brain at the door. I found it to be exactly the opposite. It was yeah. open, mind opening rather than mind closing. That's really cool. That's really good. Um, before I kind of, I wanted to ask you a few more questions on that, but the, the title, Pain and, pain and Suffering, um, do you see uh, kind of a difference between the two or like how would you kind of look at them? Um, yeah. How would you categorize that? That's them, a great question. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess there are certainly, uh, there's a lot of overlap, but certainly something that's distinct. I mean, pain in its raw sense, we, we would just say is something of a sensory reaction. Yeah. So you punch me, that triggers a certain a number of feelers in whatever part of me gets hit that go up to a certain center in my brain that registers, ow! <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. And then I recoil to that. It yeah. makes me yeah. not want to stand in the way of your fist a second time. <laughs> and so pain has a lot more just to do with our physiology in the way in which our uh, sort of sensory systems work. And it's meant to help us navigate reality rightly, to keep us out of pain, yeah, yeah. promote health, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, suffering things. is more of our 
conscious reflection upon the pain that we're experiencing. Mm. It's something that takes into stock not just physical pain, but certainly more emotional and psychological pain. Yeah, it's our way of looking upon that and saying, ah, this isn't right. This is not the way that things mm. should be. And yep. it's generally a negative kind of state that that puts us into. So pain is more the physical thing. You might say suffering as more of our conscious reaction or yep. thinking about it in reflection. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Would you see any kind of subcategories, I guess, in suffering itself, like different kinds of suffering that you'd see, at least in, I know you, from my own research and seeing, reading the Bible that there's kind of different types of suffering or would you categorize yeah. it in any kind of different way? Or? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly look at different parts of how we experience life. So you could say physical suffering, you could say yeah. emotional suffering, you could yeah. say psychological suffering and yep. the ways, ways in which this play. Uh, when it comes down to discussing this philosophically, often mm. what uh, the philosophers try and draw a distinction between when it comes to pain and suffering or what's popularly known as the problem of evil, yep. they'll make a distinction between natural evils or that which we experience as pain or suffering at the hands of nature. So yep. whether disease or sickness or natural disaster, this kind of thing. Yep. And then moral evil, which is what mm. we experience at the hands of other moral or sentient creatures. Yep. Uh, so, you know, you punch me in the nose. That's moral evil or suffering that yep. stems yep. from <laughs> a decision that's made by another moral creature. Oh, right, um, and so that. those sort of, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of not making aspergus on your particular character by saying that. I'm saying oh. it because I'm hoping to draw laughter when people realize that's exactly not what you're like. <laughs> so a very non-threatening kind of person. But uh, but yeah, those are kind of another way of kind of breaking down the problem, sort of the natural evil and the moral evil as yeah, well. Yeah, okay. Cool, cool. And um, in, t in particular, I guess, um, thinking on the Aussie context, do you see... Um, I guess suffering any different to uh, anywhere else in the world? Would it be different from the US or yeah. kind of more Eastern countries? Like, it's a really um, good question. How would you navigate this kind of topic? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question. And I appreciate what you said in the intro. Sort of, There are many different ways that people process it. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter now whether you're in the West or the East, given the kind of globalized atmosphere that we exist in. People are pretty connected with belief systems. And so you'll find wherever you go, people have all kinds of ways of making sense of pain and suffering yeah, in their yeah. life. And some that's a popular way of thinking about it has certainly been a move towards sort of a karmic system. And certainly it's pretty popular in the West. You get what you deserve, sort of the pop yeah, spirituality. Okay. Yep. Uh, and so certainly these Eastern philosophies, your uh, sort of Buddhism and Hinduism have mm. operated on this idea of the karmic cycle, that there is somehow a justice at the heart of reality. Yeah. And you build up a debt based upon the bad things that you do and you either pay for it in this life or the next. Yep. And so pain and suffering is your way of working down that karmic debt. It's something yep. you should actually somewhat welcome in life yeah, yeah. because it's serving a necessary function for you to, you to pay down your mortgage, your loan to reality. <laughs> yep. um, and so that's one way of thinking about it. So much so that when Mother Teresa and certainly was certain, trying to set up her organization over in India, originally she was hindered from helping those who are most at risk and most suffering because yeah, she was seen to be intervening in what was necessary for them to endure in order for them to be able to yeah. pay off their karmic mm. suffering. And so one, it certainly desensitizes you to the suffering and pain of others in that yeah. kind of a view of things. Another way that's popular in the West is to move more towards, like you said, a hedonistic way of thinking. Yeah, that life is all about, about that. <laughs> maximizing pleasure and minimizing pain. Yeah. It's almost the YOLO, you only live once. And so Just if avoid this- avoid it at all costs type Exactly. Thing, yeah, yeah. If this world <laughs> is all that there is, if this life is all that you get, then the best that you can do is squeeze as much pleasure pleasure juice as you can out yep. of life, try and be happy. Yep. And what does suffering and pain do? Well, it makes you 
unhappy, therefore it should be avoided. It serves yeah. no meaningful kind of purpose. Mm-hmm. And so we downplay death. We downplay suffering, even though the media is big on it. Yep. In our normal day-to-day lives, we try and tune that down so that we can just tune up the entertainment and yeah. ignore it as much as we possibly can. And so rather than meditate on it, like Eastern philosophy, we tend to medicate away from it. That's you've got a, a headache, you don't it. listen to those symptoms. Instead, you just try and ignore them by yep. some kind of uh, intervention. And so that seems to be more of another way of avoidance uh, or yeah. trying to minimize it to some degree. Uh, and the Christian story is certainly much more rich in the way that it interacts with those two ways. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, that's that's really insightful. Um, I have... So I'm going to I'm gonna pose you a little bit of a question. Okay. Uh, I've, I read this um, somewhere. So it's a, a guy named David Hume. Yeah. Uh, I think you're familiar yeah. with him. You 18th probably century would have, skeptic. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Scottish yeah. guy. Yeah. 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 I, I suspect you probably would have come across him in your time yeah. uh, in researching. Um, but it, it, before I go into the the quote from him, the kind of question I, I tend to uh, stumble upon whenever I've been talking almost anyone really, it's a good question for a Christian to have, but like if, if we've got kind of this all-loving God, if we've got this uh, who, who wants, wants good things for us, then how could, we, how could he allow pain and suffering? Mm. And um, what, what David says, uh, what David Hume says, he says, is God willing to prevent evil but not able? then he is not able he is not all powerful is he able but not willing then he's malevolent is he both able and willing then why is there evil is he neither able nor willing then why call him god so mm. it's a pretty pretty tough kind of argument when you look at it i remember looking at it years ago when i hadn't really looked into kind of many too many answers yeah. to, to big questions yeah. and because i really wanted to know on this this type of topic but i know you've done a bit of research on this so would you be able to kind of speak into that question like why why would a loving god allow such suffering appreciate that in, yeah. In world, yeah and uh and this is one of the age-old philosophical questions it actually dates back to kind of epicurus so the father of epicurean philosophy he asked it originally of the greek gods yep. but posing this what they call the problem of evil or the problem of pain uh, yep. and it's trying to make sense of if god is all-powerful and all-loving these two aspects of of God's divine nature, well, they seem to stand in contradiction for evil and suffering to exist because Mm. either he can't stop the bad stuff or he doesn't want to stop the bad stuff. Either way, that's a big problem when it comes to the Christian conception of God. And so David Hume is sort of picking that up, the Greek argument of throwing it against the God of the Bible, the God of the Christians. And and certainly I think this is the most enduring argument against the Christian story. Mm. If you go and look at Christian thinkers, there are a couple of dozen arguments that they'll put forward to believe in God and to believe in Jesus as the best window into what God is like. But when it comes to the arguments against theism or belief in God, it really is the problem of evil as number one and not even close second. Do you Um, reckon, before you go on, do you reckon that is big? Because it, you actually physically feel it. It's it isn't so just real like an intellectual to us. It's type n- thing. Yeah. And, and the challenge is in addressing a problem like this, there are meaningful philosophical responses yep. to a dilemma like that. 100%. But they do nothing to move the heart because yeah. the problem of evil is at its base a question of trust. Mm. Can I really trust a God who lets me suffer when he could have stopped it? Yeah. Right? That's what people are really asking. And yeah. so because it's an emotional question wrapped up with an intellectual objection, mm. it's very tricky 
to to pull apart these different threads. Mm. And it's one of the reasons why I think that the Bible is actually so rich in the way that it speaks to it because it doesn't try and ignore the head nor does it try to ignore our personal experience, Mm. the dark nights of the soul and the disappointment with God. It sort of just picks up on these different features again and again. We're suffering all the time in the Psalms. Absolutely. They're mega themes (laughs) in the Bible. It's not like it ignores reality and pretends that everything is lollipops and rainbows. It, it asks these difficult questions that goes through. And so in kind of starting to tease out something of how does the Christian story speak to it, I think there's a couple of things that it does. It gives some reasons to think that a good and all-powerful God may choose a world that involves evil and suffering. What worlds mm. could God create? It may give us some reasons why he would choose that world. And I'll get there in a second. Okay. But the second thing that it does is it helps us come to terms with the idea of God's reaction to our pain and suffering. It's not just that he lets it happen. It's how does he feel about it? How does he feel towards us? Yeah. What does he do? Does he just sit back and uncaring? Or how does God really respond to yeah, our pain yeah. and our suffering? I think it does those two things meaningfully. So yeah. Should we dive into maybe number one and you can ask yeah, questions along be, the way? Yeah, that'd be great if you could. Yeah, so this is more, again, the intellectual problem. So if you're coming in, like me, you've got a story where your big objection to God is he let something happen. Mm. This may not do all that much for you. So yeah. big disclaimer there. It's yeah, just yeah. important to, to put this to the side. But it is important to wrestle with because when we face suffering, we have to have thought meaningfully about why God may allow things in general to happen. Yeah. And according to the Christian story, if you go back at the beginning, One of the reasons why I think the Christian story is so powerful in explaining our real world is because we all have this deep, innate reaction in the face of evil, Mm. that that's wrong. And in the face of suffering, that this is not the way that things should be. Mm. And these innate reactions actually don't make all that much sense in the atheist story or in the naturalist story in a purely materialistic universe. Because if, as you said before, If morality is nothing but what we have come up individually, everyone does what is right in their own eyes, or what we've come up with is different socio-biological evolutions in our collective society, uh, sort of I decide or we decide what's right, then there is no such thing as evil. Mm. Evil is always shifting goalposts. It's what you decide at any particular point in history. We might think slavery is evil now, but 250 years ago, the vast majority of the world thought that slavery was right. And if we decide what's right, well, then that means 250 years ago, slavery was right. And it's only us who has a problem with it. That Martin Luther King was no moral reformer in his civil rights movements, or we shouldn't be praising William Wilberforce as being a moral reformer. He was a moral dissident. He was going against what was right at the time. And it's only rewriting history from our perspective that we think he's something good. And so it just plays with our sense. We have this real belief that some things truly are evil, that rape is wrong, that you shouldn't eat your neighbor, you should love them instead. (laughs) You know, that some things are like moral baselines, but to believe in that, that evil is objective actually requires there to be some kind of moral ultimate reality. And I'll get to that in a second, something that atheism cannot um, effectively give a foundation for. The second thing is the idea that suffering is wrong. I mean, if the secular story is true and that evolution is the only game in town, then nature has always been read in tooth and claw. There was never a moment in our past where things were different, nor will there ever be a moment in our future where things were different. Suffering has always been built into the system. Mm. So it's very strange that we have this aversion to think that suffering is not the way that things should be. Why do we revolt against a system that has always been this way when that's the natural or the baseline? It's the most natural thing. There's no such thing as natural evil uh, in this case because evil is a 
very uh, uh, a violation a of the, really. exactly yeah. <laughs> and so the whole thing doesn't make sense within a naturalist system that evil is evil and that suffering is wrong but if you step into the christian story it begins with this picture where the world was not made wrong but was made right that god a loving community father son and spirit created us in his image to be able to men and women mm. reflect something of what God is like. Yep. He ordered nature, bringing order from chaos, helping to bring about situation conducive for life, but that he f effectively governs matter and energy by natural laws. Mm. But he also as creator wrote a moral fabric into reality. You talked about the way of life, yep. uh, a way that when we go with the moral grain of God's design, yeah, yeah. it leads to freedom and flourishing and life. Yep. But when we go against God's moral grain, like when you run your hand against, you know, rough timber against yep. the grain, what happens? You get splinters. splinters. Yep. And so the biblical story describes that in the same way that we were created for good, that we've also become damaged by evil. Mm. And the explanation as to why would a loving and powerful God create a world where evil and suffering were a possibility? It's because he wanted to create a meaningful world. Mm. God could have created a world where human beings do exactly what they're told to. They're robots pre-programmed by God as the computer scientist, and we only ever do exactly as we are programmed to do. And therefore, we never go wrong and we never suffer. But because God's desire was to create a meaningful world, a world mm. where our choices matter, they affect the environment around us, yeah. and a world where our relationships matter, where mm. love is not only freely received but also freely given, yeah. it means that you can't program us. There has to be built into the system the freedom that we're given yeah. to be agents who also write our own stories. Yeah. Because God wanted to have a relationship with us as earthly kids to him as an heavenly father. Love cannot be coerced. Love mm. cannot be forced. It must be freely given. And so the reason why an all-powerful and all-loving God would choose a world with suffering, what Christian philosophers have called the free will defense, mm. is that he chose to create a world where free creatures exist. Yeah, and having right. given us freedom, you can't then dictate the kind of choices that we make. When yeah. you give us freedom as your choice, therefore whatever choices we make are going to affect how the system plays out. And so yeah. in the same way then, as human beings created in God's image to for a loving relationship with God, we were given the freedom either to go with God's moral grain or to try and break God's moral law. Mm. But by breaking God's moral law, we actually get broken by it. It's the same thing as if I was to jump off the building tonight and say, I'm going to break the law of gravity. Well, I may have watched a lot of Marvel movies and DC movies, but still, I'm not going to break <laughs> the law of gravity. <laughs> I am going to be broken by the law of gravity and yeah. myself. And the aftermath of that, you realize I've only proved the law of gravity by becoming broken in the process. The same is true, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3 of humanity. Yeah. When we broke God's moral law, we became broken by it. And because we'd been set up as the people who were to look after God's world, because we were the gardeners and governors of this planet, when we walked off the job, the entire system itself was affected. Mm. And so we don't relate rightly to God as we were created to. We don't relate rightly to each other. Rather than loving our neighbor, we intend towards inwards and selfishness. We tend to tribalize and hate yep, our neighbor. Yep. And we don't relate to creation or to the environment the way that we were intended to. And this experience this year in 2020 of COVID, just one more way we realize yeah. we are at odds with our environment. Viruses jump into the human population in a way that God didn't intend. And so I think this deep intuition we have that evil is evil 
we can only make sense of because of God's moral fabric, that mm. we were created with God as the ultimate moral lawgiver. And that suffering is wrong because this is not the way things were created to be. Yep. So I find the Christian story both philosophically satisfying, an all-powerful and an all-loving God would create this world. Why? Because he values relationships and mm. meaningful choices yeah, and meaningful okay. life. And so he built freedom into the system. And in doing so, opens up the possibility for us to abuse the system and so become damaged by evil. And so that's something that was uh, sort of released in, in 1970s, longer standing, but a, a big argument put forward by Elvin Plantinger in oh, his yeah. book, God, Freedom and Evil. Mm. that for the most part has neutralized what David Hume presented as the logical problem of evil. No philosopher meaningfully from a secular perspective makes that argument anymore. The conversation has moved on more to an evidential version of, okay, sure, maybe it's possible that evil and suffering would exist, but I don't think when you look at the kind of evil and suffering in the world that that fits with God. Do you think that they... Like it still is, like even when I hear you say that, and I, I believe everything you, you've said, but it's still such a struggle when you do see such atrocities in the world. So you can see how sometimes people tend to kind of push back on on that. But what? I agree. I actually think there's, there's, there's an entire other <laughs> story of the Bible. Yeah, they're like not, not good enough. Yeah. Because in general, okay, I can open up my mind to the point of saying it is possible that God exists even if evil and suffering does. But look at the amount. Look at the yeah. intensity mm. of the evil and suffering in the world. Surely God should step in and intervene to do yeah. something. Yeah. From my perspective, if I was in God's chair, if I was Bruce Almighty, given the God powers, you know, Jim Carrey <laughs> or Evan Almighty, I would do something different than the way that God is. I would hit yes to all prayers so that yeah. no one suffers and everyone gets what they want. But I think there's another book of the Bible that bears this out, and it's the story of Job in the Old yeah. Testament. Yeah. And this is where you see a relatively good guy. We would hold him up as being a righteous dude who everything that is good about his life is ripped away almost in an instant. For those who don't know, like what ha- what kind of happens a little bit in that story? Yeah, what, it's like, what it's honestly have? one of the most tragic things you could yeah. think, of, the thing you wouldn't wish upon your worst enemy. Uh, all of his kids are killed. He's got ten children, and a house collapses on them so that they get entombed in the rubble. They're crushed mm. to death. All of his wealth, they didn't have stocks or property portfolios or anything like that. He was like one of the most wealthiest people. He was one of the wealthiest dudes, but it was all wrapped up in livestock, camels and goats and sheep. And all of that is destroyed either by natural disasters or they're stolen away by raiding enemy tribes. Mm. And then his health is stripped from him. He finds himself all of a sudden afflicted with a strange skin disease. And he's got these big boils and sores that he's scraping with pottery shards. And at the moment in life where everything's torn away and he needs comforting, his wife, rather than being there with him to comfort each other in the pain, Mm -hmm. instead she turns on him. She said, look, you tried the God thing. Look where it's turned out. Why don't you just curse God and die? Man, I don't know, hearing, <laughs> hearing those words come out of my wife's mouth would crush me. Oh, and so he's left with all of this happening, just questioning life. Yeah. He asked some pretty dark questions. Why did I not perish at birth? Why mm. is life so hard? Where are you in the midst of all of this, God? Yeah. And he has some friends that turn up and they sit with him silently for seven days in his yeah. pain. That was actually the best thing yeah, yeah. that they did. Mm-hmm. They screwed up when they started trying to say something, but just being with him in the pain. But then, <laughs> then they start saying, well, look, God exists in our thinking and we think God's just and he would operate the world according to this strict justice. So basically a Jewish version of the karmic principle, you get what you deserve. Yeah. And so they're looking at Job and he's getting bad. So they assume he must have done bad. And so Job, what did you do? Yeah. 
And he's working backwards and saying, well, look, I'm trying to be honest with myself. Yeah, I'm not perfect, but I don't think I've done anything that would warrant right, God doing this. And so I'm starting to question if God's the one that's in control of the world, well, then what is that saying about God? Mm. And he's more uncertain about it. He wants to plead his case before God. He wants an mm. answer. And I remember reading this story before I was a Christian. So I was exploring these big questions. Yep. And I was just thinking, man, what is God going to say? Yep. And sure enough, in the story, at the end of the book, God turns up to give his answer. Only his answer makes God out to be a bit of a jerk. That's what I thought. <laughs> because all of a sudden he turns up and he gives him 64 questions. Dress, dress like a man and I will question you. Where were you before the foundations of the earth were laid? Tell me if you know. Where were you when I stretched out the heavens? Mm. And it's questions on cosmology and biology and zoology. The kind of questions that if my science teacher in high school asked me, I'd you know, faint back into my chair. Yeah. I'd, I'd be terrified to have to answer. And he finds himself unable to answer and he gets zero out of 64 on the God test, right? And at the end of this, though, his reaction was to say, I had spoken about things that I didn't understand, but now mm. that my eyes have seen you, I repent in dust and ashes. Mm. And it leads to Job giving up his complaint. And as someone who wasn't a Christian reading this book, I'm like, I don't understand that reaction. Yeah. <laughs> it made no sense to me. Yeah. And it was something I had to think through over time. And, and it really came home to me, the meaning of this, actually, when I was, became a dad. Because I had uh, my first son, Josiah. My wife is super squeamish when it comes to needles, to blood. So I was always so the I. one that had to do yeah. the GP visits uh, for immunizations <laughs> for the kids. Yeah. And so I took him along for this round of needles. I'm sitting in the GP's office and she says, look, it's two needles today. And we know that with toddlers, we don't get a second jab at this. And so, pardon the pun, uh, we're going <laughs> to inject both of them simultaneously. Yeah. And so they asked me to sit Josiah on my lap and to lull him into a false sense of security, basically hold him tight. And he's staring up at me lovingly, trustingly, adoringly oh. <laughs> and there's a doctor on one side registered nurse on the other and sure enough one two three they jab him and he is immensely upset he is body just quivers with pain his eyes fill up with tears and he just looks confused and betrayed staring up at me yeah because <laughs> in his mind it's kind of like the job story yeah i know my dad is powerful he could easily stop these two, female doctor, female nurse, half his size. If he wanted to, he could have stopped them from hurting me. Yeah. And he knows that I love him because I play with him, I read to him, I hug him, I kiss him, we go on man ventures, I give him little baby chinos. Like, I look after this kid. He knows that I love him, right? <laughs> and so in his mind, he cannot fathom why I am letting yeah. them inflict this pain. Even worse, why I then go and pay the doctor for having him go through that torture. And it hit me at that moment that there is no way that me as a 30-year-old dad at the time could explain to my 18-month-old boy why I'm letting him suffer. Mm. I just don't have the vocabulary. He doesn't understand. I, as a layperson, still have a working knowledge of immunology and viral and bacterial infections, and I have to build up antibodies to fight yeah. off greater dangers. I totally get why I'm letting him go through it. Yeah. But there's no way from my vantage point I could explain those reasons to him. Yeah. And if that distance between him as an 18-month-old boy to me as his 30-year-old dad is anything, then how much more the distance between us mm. as finite human beings stuck in space and time who wrongly interpret often what we see Yep. we're finite we're fallen compared to an infinite and all-wise heavenly father mm. who doesn't just look through 
every atom in the known universe right now and how it's going, yep. but is able to look through the corridors of time to yep. see the butterfly effects, every cause yeah. and effect as it ripples down through the ages. Only God is in a position to know whether he has good reasons yep. for allowing the kind of suffering and evil that yep. comes. I may want to step in and do something different, but I don't know how things will play out down the track. Maybe God knows something that I don't. Mm. And like Josiah, having to come to terms with the bigness of his dad, it's a question of whether or not he can really trust me. That even though he doesn't have good reasons, do I really trust that in the bigness of God, he mm. has good reasons? Can I trust God's yeah. character? And that's kind of where the question ultimately comes. It's what philosophers call the skeptical theism problem. Yeah. God may have reasons of which we are simply unaware. Just because yeah. we don't see them doesn't mean doesn't they mean aren't there. there. And so it's really this question of can you trust God? Yeah. So you've picked up on uh, kind of a few themes that, uh, because we're created almost with free will and God created us to make decisions, to be, have the opportunity to love, not be robots, but as well as we've kind of uh, got this kind of hindsight type thing that we just do not have. Mm. We've got, we don't have the same mind as, as God, so we, we can't possibly know right now um, why certain things are happening, but it doesn't mean mm. that they're not happening. Totally. In the language no of the, the prophet Isaiah, he says, as far as the heavens are above the earth, so far are God's thoughts above our own and yeah, his yeah. ways above our ways. So That's really, really big thoughts. And um, But I, I wanted to kind of tease out a little bit part of that, but is there is there a sense then that um, would you say this, and you can push back on it, would you say that there's uh, reasons sometimes for suffering that it actually can be um uh not like horrible going through pain and suffering but not useless yeah this is an interesting question uh and i, I really sort of appreciate it um i would always be cautious to impute god's purposes to yeah. anything that happens 100%. uh because i don't know god's mind other yeah. than what he's revealed to me and nor do i want to say that what god's reasons are when i don't know i'm yeah. very very cautious to say there's these possibilities these plausibilities even yeah. but i don't know and so yeah. when someone says to me why did god let me suffer i'm like you know i have no idea uh, that's still a mystery to me. That's the yeah. fog that I bump into because I, I don't sit in God's chair. I don't govern the universe. I don't see the future. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can look back with retrospect yep. on my own life, this mm -hmm. great teacher, and realize a whole bunch of ways in which stuff that I really didn't want to happen at the time. Mm. Actually, if I jettisoned that, if I unwrote that as a page of my story, yep. I don't know who I would be now. That it has been a catalyst for change in a good way, yeah. that it's deepened my courage, it's deepened mm. my character, it's been the crucible out of which I've been formed. Yep. And I think through many of the great stories or movies that I love, the books that I love reading, that, that heroes don't begin as heroes. No. They begin as a raw clump of material. And it's by going through the journey, the hardship, the yeah. challenge, that they become so much of what we admire, that virtue is formed yeah. and developed in a way, maybe that it couldn't have happened otherwise. Mm. And, uh, and so certainly, let's say if you took the karmic view of reality, more of the Eastern philosophy, yeah. what you would say is suffering is necessary just for you to pay down your debt, not for you to become a kind of person because in the next life you'll become a whole new thing and you'll start kind of again, mentally speaking, or virtue, but you've just got this abstract debt that you're paying down or paying yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in that sense, suffering has a purpose, but it's not a purpose significant to you as a person. Yeah. It's significant yeah. to this strange life force that you yeah. carry, but that's mm -hmm. ultimately impersonal. 
If you go to a secular view, then suffering, it serves no meaningful purpose, largely because the universe itself is purposeless. Yep. You know, uh, someone like Richard Dawkins, the high priest of new atheism, <laughs> he would say that you know, this universe is amoral. There is no meaning or design or purpose at bottom, no design. And as a result of that, well, then whatever happens in life, it just happens. It's chance, it's accident, it's us yep. living out, playing to the tune of our DNA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so in that case, nothing that happens in your life has purpose. Suffering, suffering certainly so. And if we're not leading anywhere, then suffering seems to be largely irrelevant. I'd yeah. rather let someone else suffer and do all the good stuff. I just want to get the good things in life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so there's no ultimate reason to think that character formation is a necessary part of that story either. Mm, okay. In the Christian story, one of the things that I find really interesting is that certainly because God is big, even though he may not stand behind suffering as the one causing it, Certainly the biblical story said he set up the system and he doesn't intervene. He at least allows it, right? Yeah. Things are playing out according to some kind of plan of him allowing things to happen. Yeah. And when suffering happens, it's neither good or bad in that respect according yeah. to purpose. It's simply an opportunity, right? Mm. And if you harden your heart towards suffering, if you become embittered through it, it can totally have negative effects. Suffering can destroy you. Definitely. And surely we know a ton of people who have become bitter and yeah. closed and hurt. small and hurt because of their experiences and yeah. the way in which they've responded in the midst sure. of those experiences. And so suffering is by no means a good thing in and of itself. Yeah. But there have also been people that have gone through immense hardship and suffering who instead have become humbled by it, have opened themselves up, have reached out for something bigger than themselves. And yeah. someone like Viktor Frankl, uh, who was a psychiatrist who went through the, the Nazi death camps, yeah, right. who was invited to care for the mental health of his fellow inmates as a secular Jew himself, uh, who reflects back on watching, I mean, the horrendous conditions, the incredibly high rate of suicide, upwards of 25% of people at least attempted suicide right. within those death camps. But he said it was those who had a, a why to their existence, those who believed in something beyond themselves, mm. those who saw perhaps that there was something that could redeem their experiences and weave it into a bigger story to make them yeah. who they are. They tended to fare way better, psychologically speaking, yeah. in the camps than those who didn't believe in yeah, some kind yeah, yeah. of spiritual reality or God type thing. And I think the Christian story says something very similar, that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, he actually works all things together for good. Mm. And part of the reflection the biblical stories take someone like joseph sold into slavery at 17 ish by his brothers endures real hardship in mm. egypt falsely accused thrown into prison going through all kinds of years of turmoil in there finally miraculously somewhat raised up to become really the prime minister or second in charge overall of egypt and used amazingly by god to be able yep. to then prepare them for a famine given these dreams and after 13 years or something of uh, since he was first sold into slavery, his brothers turn up. They come to realize what they did and yeah. they're deeply sorry for the evil that they committed against their brother and, and they ask him for forgiveness. And yeah. his reflection back on all of the hardship that he experienced was he says to his brothers, that which you meant for evil, God used for good. He purposed mm. for good for the yeah. saving of many lives. And so this retrospect, yes, I wish I didn't have to go through that. It's horrible. Yeah. But yet it formed me to become who I am and it put me in the position that I am that I was able to be the doorway through which salvation was open to anyone who was hungry. Yeah. And I think the same is true of Jesus. 
you look at the worst injustice that has ever been committed, and surely it was that the holiest man that ever lived was tried under false pretenses, falsely accused, and then crucified a criminal's death, having never done anything wrong but loving God and loving others with all of his being. Mm. And yet now he's unjustly murdered. And yet God used this wicked act to be able to open up a door of salvation to whosoever Mm. believes, that Jesus would satisfy justice on our behalf, dying our death, being able to pay the penalty for our (laughs) evil. And it's through this that now opportunity is there for anyone to find forgiveness and freedom and a future Mm. with God, all through an evil act that God allowed, that God willingly sacrificed himself to or gave himself over, lay down his life of his own accord. And so I just find that a fascinating way of reflecting that, yes, it seems to be that God can use evil and God can use suffering, not cause it, not be the author of it, but weave it into his plan to still serve a meaningful purpose. And so if that's the case, I would much rather my suffering means something than be meaningless. And, that's and I think that's something that probably, the Christian story opens up the opportunity yeah, for. Yeah, yeah. Well, to touch on, kind of tease that out a little bit, so you'd kind of say, right, uh, going back to the story you told in, in the camps and uh, believing in a higher power, like is this kind of what you're saying is that this, uh, ra- this is why you'd believe in, say, the Christian God over just a higher power in general because it actually makes more sense uh, I think like what, so there's a number of factors a to it reason? it's a great reason so yeah. in one sense uh, I think there's utility to it so someone like yeah. Jordan Peterson right who for the most part brands himself or at least has for the last number of years as being more of a secular person he doesn't necessarily believe in God he lives as if God is real he lives as though God is real because yeah. he thinks to do otherwise is absurd and unhelpful yeah. right and so it serves a psychological benefit there's a utility to believing in God yeah. when it comes yeah. to suffering but the other aspect is that yes I think it makes better sense of reality I said before for those innate reactions we have when we suffer, when we stare evil in the face. Evil is evil. Suffering is wrong. That actually the Christian story makes better sense of those intuitions than the secular alternative. But I think the thing that really makes me want to embrace the Christian story and not say that it's true... I think there are other reasons for believing that it's true, but the thing that yeah. makes me want to embrace the Christian story is really God's reaction to our yeah. pain or to our suffering. And this is what we get. We start with Genesis and then Job, but, but Jesus, this is kind of where you hone in. Because if you want to know what God is like, according to the Christian story, yeah. then the claim is of the Bible that Jesus is the invisible God made visible. He is the exact image mm. of the glory of God. If He's a window into yeah. exactly what God is like. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Yeah, yeah. I can't belabor that point enough. And so when Jesus reacts to the pain and suffering around him, Jesus' response to what's happening in the world, that is God's heart. That's God's response. And when I was reading through the gospel stories, the four biographies about Jesus, I was just deeply moved by how I saw him respond to the pain and suffering of those around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, In John chapter 11, you find Jesus weeping that he wept at the graveside of his dead friend. (laughs) And this is fully aware of the fact that he was about to undo the very need for weeping. He was about to resurrect Lazarus from the dead. He knows what he's about. And yet it doesn't stop him from entering into the pain of that moment, the grief of Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha. And so if God is moved by our suffering, Mm. if he cares and feels deeply, then I'm not more compassionate than God when I stare at the news or I experience my friends in in deep pain or mourning or loss. I'm drawing from the deep wells of God's compassion as an image bearer of God. I'm simply giving a small window into God's feeling towards the pain and suffering Mm. of our world. And I was deeply moved by the fact that Jesus grieved. He sobbed. He broke down in tears. He showed Uh, a lot of love and compassion. (laughs) Totally. 
And I was also deeply moved by how Jesus responded to the questions. Mm. He's, Lazarus' sisters were aware that Jesus had been healing other people wherever he went. And they're like, yep. why didn't you come earlier? You, you could have saved him. You could have stopped this yeah. from happening. And you chose not to. Why? Yeah. And in the face of their questions, Jesus starts to speak about a future hope yeah. that even though now may seem hopeless, even mm. though darkness and death, suffering and sickness are part of our experience, he, he gives this invitation to believe him when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Mm. He who believes in me, though he dies, he'll live again. Yeah. And these believing ones will never truly die. I'll never die again. It's not the end of the story. Yeah, kind of thing. Yep. exactly. He begins to talk about the demotion of death, that even yeah. though, according to the secular story, death is the great end of the sentence of reality. It's a full stop. Well, yep. according to the Christian story, according to Oops. Jesus and his <laughs> resurrection, death is merely a comma in the sentence oh, of yeah. reality. It's a pregnant mm. pause. There is more yet to come. There is the opportunity for resurrection and eternal life. Yeah, yeah. And so he starts speaking about this eternal future, the opportunity mm. to believe in him and have eternal life. And it's something that the yeah. Apostle Paul spent a ton of time camping on, yeah, yeah. where he said, you know, I consider that our present sufferings mm. are not worth being compared to the glory that will be revealed. This is in Romans chapter 8. He or he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah. yeah. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that um, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Mm. And this is a guy that was beaten with rods. He was flayed. He was imprisoned. He was stoned. And I Shipwreck. mean that in like the Old <laughs> Testament sense of having rocks pelted at you, not yeah. the you know kind of university level stoned that most people are familiar with today. Uh, and shipwrecked and hungry and homeless and opposed. This guy was intimate with suffering. And yet yeah. he said our light and momentary troubles are not worth being compared. It's a big claim. It's a massive claim, but but it's this perspective that he zooms back and says, if eternity is real, if you have the opportunity to have unending physical life in the presence of God with mm. no more suffering or sickness or crying or death or pain anymore, the old order of things will pass away. Even yeah. Revelation 21, 4 saying God will wipe away the tears of our suffering in this life. If that's true, man, that's really good news. And what nice. we're going through now, it's just a drop in the bucket compared to the oceans yeah. Of eternity, and we should try and get that perspective to realize that look, suffering is bad, it's horrible, it mm. may suck, it may lead us to despair for a moment, but it is just a momentary thing, it will pass. And the darkness always will give way mm. to this dawn of new creation. And he so Jesus strikes this message of hope to put our vision beyond just what we're is right in front of us now. And I found that deeply helpful. Yeah, that 100%. the people that I love that Makes I've sense. lost. Yeah. They're not necessarily gone. Yeah. That I can stand with them again before Jesus' final accounting and then there's this opportunity for eternal life for whosoever believes in him. And that, that yeah. was Amen. powerful as, mm. uh, as a window. But I think the thing that really got me, I remember reading this in a book by John Stott, one of my sort of heroes in the Christian world. Yeah. But he wrote this, uh, his um, magnum opus, The Cross of Christ. Yeah. Uh, and in his chapter on suffering in there, he opens with the words, and this really got me. I'm not sure I could have believed in God were it not for the cross. Mm. And I remember reading these stories about God, moved by other people's suffering, grieved by it, offering future hope, offering that present purpose, the meaning, being able to use suffering mm. as part of a bigger plan, but still thinking, I don't know if I can trust you. And mm. then you see the suffering of God. Mm. 
where God, having forsaken the safety and the joys of heaven, instead becomes what we celebrate at Christmas, becomes human. Mm. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, takes on humanity, is incarnate, puts on humanity, human flesh, and then experiences all kinds of suffering. To be sold out by one of your closest followers Mm. for a bag of cash, to be denied by the one who said, I'll never deny you, but Mm. three times say, I don't even know the man. It's meant to be your closest friend. To be beaten and spat upon and mocked by the very creation that you made, by the people that you love, and then to be flayed, to have flesh torn from your mm. body, to then be carry a heavy patibulum for the cross, to then suffer excruciating agony, literally excrucis from the cross, right. to go through all of that. And then the, the Bible paints that even after his resurrection from the dead in this immortal body now that he still bears the scars of that crucifixion. Even mm. John in the picture of Revelation sees a lamb as though it had been slain standing in heaven. Mm. Now to bear those scars for all eternity, mm. we as Christians worship a God with scars, a God who has suffered, a wounded healer, a God who is deeply intimate with our pain. And even though someone says, why does God let me suffer? I don't know. Generally, because meaningful relationships require free agency. Mm. The world is broken, and so suffering comes to us relatively indiscriminately. He can work into his plan. He cares about our suffering. He's grieved over it. There's a future hope. But the thing that really made me open up, melted my skepticism towards Mm. God, was this picture of God's suffering. Mm. Because even though I can't tell you why he lets us suffer, I can certainly tell you that it is not because he doesn't care. Mm. It's not because he doesn't love you. Because by hanging on a Roman cross, suffering what he did, that is the thing that put to bed any skepticism I had that God Mm. cares about us, that he was willing to endure all of that Mm. is the deepest evidence that you could ever ask for, that he was willing to lay down his own life. Mm. No greater test could be put forward as to the levels of someone's love for you. And so that for me just said, okay, if that's the lengths that God's willing to go for, I don't have all my questions answered, but man... That's a God that I can trust. That's a God that I can follow. That's yep. a bigness that I can lean into and a mystery that I can accept. And so that was what for me at least said, all right, I'm in. I don't know all that that means. That I'm going to have to keep searching. But for some degree, um, I'm kind of in. Sounds very comprehensive, really. If you kind of look at the broad sweep of kind of everything you've said, it we may not kind of know exactly why everything happens, mm-hmm. but we do know that it, it makes a lot of sense in the story but that we do have such a loving compassionate god that did take it serious enough Mm. to come down and and to take our place for our sins and that's i don't know that's a hugely comforting thing yeah and having a future hope i think that'd probably be one of the key things for me personally is that you just when somebody that doesn't know christ is going through a really hard time and they they kind of go oh well I don't know why this is happening, but I've just got to keep moving forward mm. type thing or I'm going to get really bitter mm. or su- such and such. And it makes kind of sense when you don't have something to look forward to. And to think that in that moment when you're like, where you said before, it's like this isn't meant to be like mm. this, to know that we can actually, um, would, that there will be a time where it won't be like 
that. Yeah, totally. Such a, such a comforting I've, thing. I've, I've watched this play out in real world. Yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you, you may have experienced this as a pastor, uh, but I've been there for a lot of people in their mm. last days. You know, and you see it on both sides of the coin. Just this year, earlier in the year, we had my neighbor pass away. Mm. Um, she was a mom, five kids, uh, had largely been, been single for a long time, raised them. They're all adults now, but has been through a really hard life. Mm. And, uh, and she was facing down a terminal diagnosis with cancer, was defiant in the face of death, couldn't accept it, but largely because she was afraid of what was to come. We yeah. had deep discussions. She knew I'd been a pastor. She knew I was deeply involved in church world, yeah. constantly wanted me to get her girls involved. <laughs> uh, but um, she would just talk at length, I'm just af- afraid, yeah. really afraid of death. And, uh, and just to watch her slowly slip away from this mm. cancer in the face of that fear, feeling like it would just undo all of the meaning of her life. When death comes, you know, kind of the Ecclesiastes vision, the tides of time wash away all meaning to our life. Mm. In a generation or two, no one will even knew that you existed. And Mm. you just think, whoa. But then I've also watched people who know Jesus die. I've watched my wife's granddad. I've watched Mm. my friend Nabil. You see them animated by this hope. I wish I could stay longer. I wish you could be with friends and family. I don't want to go yet, but I know that when I close my eyes, I'm going to stand in the presence of Jesus. Mm. I know that this is not the end. I know this is not goodbye. It's I'll mm. see you soon. Yeah. And just the way that they were able to face down death, fearless in that way, because they're animated by this hope. Mm. It really does change the way that you live here, yeah. willing yeah. to self-sacrifice in yeah. a way that you wouldn't if you were being conservative to protect yourself. Yeah. And that's been the pattern of Christians throughout history. Mm. But also just when suffering comes, when pain comes, you can face it down knowing that this isn't the final word. Such yeah. a beautiful story. Um, before we get into some q and I, I just kind of wanted to see if you had any advice for, for me and for those who are listening. like Because... We said it at the start, it's a, it's a lot of information and you can kind of wrap your head around it if you're objective mm. enough that you're like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. But how would you approach or what kind of advice would you give for someone actually going through suffering or having a friend that's going through suffering? Like, appreciate what's, that. what's the best way to go about that in your, in totally your experience? Totally appreciate that. Um, it's a great question. And uh, I remember being asked point blank by someone, how can you believe in God given pain and suffering. And my answer to them was, I would just much rather suffer with Jesus than suffer without Jesus. Mm. Much rather suffer with Jesus than suffer without Jesus. Getting rid of God doesn't help the pain. It doesn't help the suffering. It only compounds the problem because it's added now darkness, meaninglessness, Mm. hopelessness. But if you add God to the picture, then there is hope. Yeah. that there is meaning in the midst of this. But as for someone going through it, there's a couple of aspects to this. For those people who aren't there yet, please think through this question now. We in the West particularly are anemic when it comes to what we might call a theology of suffering. Mm. We live in a world that maximizes pleasure, minimizes pain. It medicates any problems. Yeah. It keeps us entertained so we don't have mm-hmm. to think about it. So when suffering comes, we're just completely unprepared. Mm. Whereas for most of human history, most people were lost in childbirth. Most people were lost in sickness. Most people faced hardship every day. So they were much more familiar with having to wrestle with this question viscerally and early. Mm. So there was kind of a resilience when suffering did come. Yep. And so I would encourage you to think of this question before you need to, both for being helpful in yep. conversation with friends, yeah, knowing yeah. not what to say, what not to say, like Job's friends, yep. how not to put <laughs> your foot in your mouth, but also for yourself so that you're ready when it comes. But when it 
does come, whether for you or for a friend, there's a few things. The best thing that God did when it comes to pain and suffering is just coming to be with us. You know, we celebrate at Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. Mm. And for the most part, when someone's in the midst of their suffering, that's not the time for questions. If they throw up their why questions, it's a great question. Totally understand how you're feeling that way. Yeah. Now's not the time to process questions yeah. because the feelings are high. The hurt is high. Yeah, yeah. Now is the time for a ministry of presence, just being there, loving them well, yeah. helping practically however you can and yeah. letting them give voice to their emotions, just yes. not trying to shut yeah. it down. Like the Psalms, like the prophets, like Jesus' um, conversation with Mary and Martha, let them open up and yep. give full voice to their complaint. Yeah, yeah. Job says, Ow, I will give full reign to my complaint and speak from the bitterness of my soul. Let them do that. God's big mm -hmm. enough. He can take it. Yeah. We need to just let out the fact that we're emotional beings that need to feel the way that we feel for that time. Definitely. And then in the aftermath, as they start to process these things deeper, know where to point them, what not to say. Oh, God's got this all figured out. Don't worry. You know, uh, God's big. There's meaning in his plan. Uh, these things are all things happen for a reason. Please throw away cookie cutter answers. Yep. It's just not helpful. No. Give people the dignity of saying these are complex questions. Why don't we wrestle with what the Bible story has to say with this together? 100%. And let's pick up a helpful resource to do it. Someone who's yeah. written on this, maybe my friend Amy or Ewing, she wrote a brilliant book recently. It's very short. Oh, just called cool. Where is God in All of the Suffering? Mm. Um, or Where is God in All of the Pain? I can't remember which name one. It's Amy or Ewing or O-R-R-E-W-I-N-G. But just jump online and grab that. It's a helpful book, really helpful book. Yeah, but the book that I've got out coming in a few months has a full chapter on this sort of oh, an extended great. version. It walks through a lot of that stuff um, in the kind of questioning the story part where you get to throw your hard questions at God. And great. so, yeah, um, just, just pick up something to use as a resource and work yeah. through it together so you get to go through the full weight of that question and yep. not just pick little parts of it that you know you know so take the, the weight off your shoulders to feel like you have to know everything. Yeah, go 100%. on the journey together. I heard someone, I can't remember, I think it was one of my lecturers, he, he said, it's just like, don't, just don't talk. They don't need a theology on, mm. on suffering and pain. They just need a hug. Mm. <laughs> so thank yeah, you so much great. for that. Um, Dan, that was really, really insightful. And uh, I've learned a whole heap here Thanks, today. Man. And it's Appreciate been so it. good. Um, do you mind if we do some questions that's for that for these it. guys have? <laughs>